This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Jack Kacharov. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I hit the headlines talking about the Virginia gubernatorial race and what that means for Democrats in Virginia and Democrats going forward. After that, Aaron and I are joined by the leaders of Midas Varsity Blue, Jonah Tillman and TJ Frederick. Finally, we finish with Tweets of the Week. Aaron, you excited for this episode? Yeah, let's do it. So let's not waste any time. Let's Zoom in. Aaron, let's hit the headlines. Let's do it, Jack. Now, there's obviously only one place we can start, and that is with the victory by now Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. He defeated former Governor Terry McAuliffe. Um, Votes are still coming in from different counties in Virginia. We do not know the exact count yet. Um, And at this point, the race might not have even been called, Uh, but it looks like Glenn Youngkin will be the next governor of Virginia. Aaron, we have a lot to cover. We have to talk about what this means for Democrats now in Congress, Democrats in Virginia, Democrats in the midterms. So let's start with what this means for Democrats in Congress. Well, I'll just start off and say that, listen, the race is over. Glenn Youngkin will be the next governor of Virginia. Uh, Republicans have one up and down the ballot in Virginia. It's looking like the House of Delegates will be 50-50, which means that Republicans will end up taking control of the House of Delegates because they will have a Republican governor this was a bad night for Democrats. And that's the only way I can put it. I mean, Republicans really swept up and down the ballot. And what it means for Democrats in Congress, it needs to be a really true awakening. I mean, anyone who says that tonight is, oh, whatever, like, it's okay. Democrats didn't, did, did okay. They didn't, they, whatever historical trends, whatever. The history was against them. That's not really an excuse. History was against them. And it will be okay. But this is a real wake-up call. Because the reason, I mean, one of the reasons why Democrats didn't perform the way they did, and we'll dissect a lot of this in this podcast, is the fact that President Biden has been in office now for about 10 months, and he has one major piece of legislation passed, and that's the coronavirus bill. That that was passed back in February. That was months ago, right? We had the Build Back Better agenda on the table. It hasn't been passed. We had infrastructure on the table. It hasn't been passed. If, if Democrats got their shit together and passed either of the two bills or both in a good in a good case before this election, it may have swung it because the final vote tally isn't in. I mean, it's down to less than two points between the two of them. This election is going to be decided by about anywhere from about ten to forty thousand votes. That is a tiny amount of votes, and if we pass back better, we may uh, be sitting here calling Terry McAuliffe governor elect. I, I think I think you're right. Um, I think this does serve as a wake-up call. The honeymoon stage of the Joe Biden presidency appeared to have ended a long time ago. And, and what you're hearing from the Yunkin campaign is they're saying that it was months ago when they felt the tides turning in Washington and the tides turning in Virginia at the same time. When we saw in, in 2017, 
And during the Trump presidency, you know, Donald Trump was at a low point for approval. He sat around 39, 40 percent. But when Trump was at his lowest was when he was trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act and when he was passing the Trump tax cuts, tax cuts for the wealthiest Americans, when there was fighting within the Republican Party, when there was a gridlock in Congress, that is when Donald Trump was at his lowest. And Joe Biden is at his lowest right now because of those same reasons. Now, instead of trying to repeal Obamacare, Joe Biden is trying to uh, pass a progressive and incredible and impactful historical piece of domestic legislation that'll help people. But because it's getting tied up in Congress, because we've had these months of fights, Joe Biden's approval rating is falling. Joe Biden's approval rating has fallen. We are not only in an off-year election, but we are in an election, an off-year after one of the most tiring elections of our lifetime, an election that we feel like we still have to fight as we fight against the big lie. So people are tired. People are in an off year and people are apathetic because of what's happening, happening in Washington. Now, I'm not going to say that any Virginian walked into the voting booth and said, hmm, I really like Terry McAuliffe, but I don't like Joe Manchin. So I'm going to vote for Glenn Youngkin. That's not the thought process. But I can see a Democrat staying home saying Democrats aren't passing anything. Democrats aren't fighting for me. What's going on in Washington? Why am I standing up and saying I want more of that? Now, again, I'm not putting that on President Biden specifically but, or, or on the Democratic Party, but it's something that's happening. It's something that's causing apathy, and it's something that has lowered voter turnout or it's lowered voters' enthusiasm in showing up and, and you know, voting for Democratic policies to be passed. Jack, it makes sense. It really does make sense. I, I saw a recent poll that 71% of Americans think the country is going in the wrong direction, and I yep. see why, because- when you give a political party power, when you give the Democratic Party, the House, the Senate, and the White House, just like we gave the Republican Party the same back in 2017, when you don't do anything with it, the voters get tired. In 2018, the voters rebuked the Republican Party. It was a blue wave in a lot of ways. Democrats retook the House. Democrats won a bunch of governorships. Why, why would we expect anything different in 2022 or in 2021? Yeah. If Democrats aren't passing what they promised they would do. And then you, you need to look at the way that we've managed expectations, because I think it's been done poorly. Right. Now, I remember on election night, Arizona was called for Biden. And I thought to myself, OK, I feel good. Michigan, Michigan's going to take time. Pennsylvania is going to take time. We're going to take time in Wisconsin. Nevada's being slow right now. Oh, my God, that was painful. But I, I thought, OK, this thing is one, right? I have faith that this is one. But I was disappointed by the margin in which it was won. Sure, Joe Biden won by millions of votes. Yeah, 2020 was way too close. That it was way too close. Years. And it was way too close that left us with after the Georgia runoff, which was a miracle. Thank you, Stacey Abrams. We thank you every day. have easily been under Mitch McConnell's control still. Easily. But the, but the messaging that was coming from Democrats was that Joe Biden absolutely crushed it in this election. He's the next FDR. We're going to pass everything under the sun. We're going to expand the Supreme Court. D.C. is going to be a state, this, this and that. We're like trillions will be spent in climate. Things that we wanted were promised. And that was the expectation. The expectation was that Sarah Gideon was going to win in Maine, that Cal Cunningham was going to win in North Carolina, 
And those things didn't happen. So we didn't have the huge majorities that we expected. And then we lost, then we lost seats in the House. So the messaging was, we we're going to pass all this stuff. That didn't happen. Because we didn't have we didn't have the representatives, we didn't have the people in Congress. Fast forward to when we're talking about the social spending bill. Before we said anything about what was going to be in it, we said we are getting three point five trillion dollars passed. Now we'd say, you know, Democrats would go, "Well, what's in that three point five trillion dollars?" And what you heard from leadership was, "Well, in that three point five trillion dollars is three point five trillion dollars." We didn't talk about what was in the bill. We didn't talk about necessarily why we needed the bill, which you know we all know why we need the bill, and we all know what needs to be in the bill. It needs to be universal pre-K. It needs to be paid family leave. It needs to be investment in green energy. But we didn't talk about that. We talked about an unrealistic price tag that wasn't going to happen because of Joe Manchin. And then when Joe Manchin came and fucked up the bill, we said, well, what just happened? Where's our bill? We've set unreasonable expectations, and we have not been able to follow up with them. Well, the Democrats mean, need to change well, that. I, I wouldn't put this all on Joe Manchin. I think that there is blame to go around a lot of places. Um, Kirsten Cinema definitely holds blame. Joe Manchin holds blame. They're very progressive members of the party who also hold blame, who held up the bill in house in the house. Now, but we can go, we can get around to that. Well, yeah, well let's, issue, let's revisit that. Yeah. And we can revisit that later. The thing at the end of the day, uh, polling shows that 70% of Virginians supported paid family leave. 84% of Virginians supported uh, prescription drug reform. They support that. It's common sense policy. And the fact that we haven't been able to come to a consensus to even pass, say, a $1 trillion bill, which would still be a historic investment by any means, $1 trillion, because it's not like we invested at all lately. The fact that we haven't been able to do that, is embarrassing. That a lot of ways kind of gave up on Virginia. And if we don't it's do it in 2022, we're going to get, a, it's going to be a bloodbath. And I wouldn't be surprised. And I'll, I'll just pivot a bit. What, my, I, I, I want to say one thing on that, because it's an important point that you made. Joe Biden was elected president and Joe Biden won the Democratic nomination because people saw him and said, he understands how I feel. He will talk to me like I'm a person. He will talk to me and understand me and he will fight for what I need. And I don't want to say that the president has sat back and not been as aggressive as he needs to, but I don't think people see him fighting for them. Well, I don't no. think Americans necessarily see Democrats fighting for them. What, they what see I, Democrats yeah. fighting against Democrats. And that's a problem. I agree with you. I would have loved, listen, my, my ideal thing as a political and as someone who's like, who's worked on several campaigns and who currently advises several campaigns, I would have told the president and I would have told those around him, you release this big social spending plan and you go on a countrywide tour. You go to Virginia. You go Get on a bus. Hand out ice cream. Come on. Everywhere. And you campaign on it. And you tell voters why this is important. Maybe that'll change. Maybe it won't. But it's better than sitting in the White House and doing, doing nothing. And I, and I don't blame President Biden for that. And obviously, there are a lot of politics in play. And I don't blame President Biden. I think he's doing a fantastic job. My biggest concern here is not President Biden. It's not even Congress. It's the overall messaging that the party really needs to look at and really needs to change moving forward, right? For a lot of years, ever since 2016, and we've fallen into the same trap, many candidates fall into the same trap of Trump is bad. Yes, we all understand Trump is bad. Great message. It's very it's easy true. to campaign on that, right? We're good at it. We're Trump very good at saying very Trump good is at bad. It. Why are Democrats good? You and ask that's a, a question, and, and not many people know the answer to it. And Aaron, Democrats don't know how to answer that. Aaron, you have, your, you have your ear to the ground. You and I are probably too involved in politics, right? Tell me what the most central issue to Terry McAuliffe's campaign is. Tell me what was most important to Terry McAuliffe. I couldn't tell you. 
I couldn't tell. What was it? Why, why did he want to be governor? I don't know, because one day he's campaigning, but it was here's the thing, his campaigning message in a lot of ways was anti-Youngkin, anti-Republican, right? It was, you, you elect Youngkin, you elect a pro-life um, governor, he's gonna attack your abortion rights. You elect Youngkin, he's gonna attack your voting rights. You elect Youngkin, he's gonna, he's gonna expand gun rights. That was the message. It wasn't a, you elect Terry McAuliffe, how am I gonna lower your gas prices? How am I gonna lower the cost of your food bill, right? How am I gonna expand job opportunities in the state? And Terry McAuliffe did all those things. He fought for he fought he for equal that. rights for all Virginians. He Correct. brought good, high-paying jobs. He he expanded social Correct. programs within the state. He made it one of the best states to live in in the country. He made education better in the state of Virginia. And Democrats have been so successful in that state. And not only did he do that, he did that with Republican majorities. Correct. I mean, it's, it's and, very, he didn't, and he and he didn't talk about that. That's I, not what he talked about. I agree with you, Jack. And it's very easy to say, listen, like nowadays, gas prices are at an all time high or not an all time high. But in most recent history, it's been it's been it, where it's up to three fifty on average a gallon. It's very easy to say, why are gas prices so high? It's not Joe Biden, right? It's it's um, OPEC Go, and global uh, supply chain, and COVID, blockages, all that. All. You say all that. But then you ask, OK, what are you going to do about it? How is the president going to fix it? And the Republican Party, what they're going to say is, if we were in president, we, we were power and we were president, we would expand American independence on um, oil, and we would domesticate oil, and we would um, drill more here. Yeah, that's going to hurt the client, the, the climate, but it's going to lower your gas prices. And an everyday Virginian doesn't really care about whether the climate is affected by a few months. They care whether they're paying a dollar less in gallon in gas a month. And everyday American thinks the same thing. So if Democrats don't have a message to kind of say, okay, we're not gonna, um, uh, we're gonna, we're not gonna get our own oil here. We're gonna get our oil, we're gonna renegotiate gas prices with Europe, and uh, not gas prices, we're gonna renegotiate barrel prices with Europe, bring in oil at a cheaper price. Um, we're also gonna expand, we're gonna tap into our reserves. I don't know, just think of something creative. Think of a message that we're gonna use. And, and we're we gonna have messages, it. that's the thing. We have messages. There's Correct. so much that we're doing. We're fighting right now to get it passed. You should Correct. fight with the same vigor when you're campaigning for it. Now, let's get back to the way that Terry McAuliffe talked about Glenn Youngkin. Because I, I saw some tweets um, over the past couple of days. Now, it, it's true that Glenn Youngkin, and I, I don't even understand how this is possible, um, is a, a, against gay marriage, Right. It's something that's true of Glenn Youngkin. I saw some tweets that said, if Glenn Youngkin becomes governor, Glenn Youngkin wants to, you know, end gay marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's true. Okay. I don't think that's possible. Um, I think that in the way that we try to make these figures, these Republicans look like Trump, because what that is and what that is on behalf of the golf campaign, campaign is saying, look at this person, he looks like Trump, he's Trump. But there's a, there's a difference in communicating that to someone and, and shouting at them versus talking to them. Because Glenn Youngkin is like Trump. He is. He is like a radical Republican that you see on the news. He's like a Cawthorn or a Boebert or a Green. But he's also very different from them. And so you have to communicate the ideas. You have to, you have to talk about what is actually wrong with Glenn Youngkin in a way that doesn't seem like I'm talking down to you or I'm saying something that simply isn't true. Well, Glenn Youngkin wants to limit a woman's right to choose. That is true. That is something that he's going to try to do. 
And that is scary. That is terrifying, but that is, that is real. Okay, so when we go as far as to say this person is Donald Trump, sometimes we put it in hyperbole. And although that is an effective st- strategy in a state like Virginia. You have to ask yourself, why? Well, how is he like Donald Trump? What is he going to do? And, and not only what is he going to do that's like Donald Trump, what are you going to do that's differently? Because I guarantee you if gas prices were 280 right now in Virginia, not 350, McAuliffe would be governor, right? If inflation wasn't so high in Virginia right now, McAuliffe would be governor, right? If the economy, if, if jobs were really booming right now, McAuliffe would be governor. If McAuliffe didn't take the critical race theory stick that Fox News and the far right threw out there at the end of the day, kind of like the defund the police movement, which is complete bullshit, McAuliffe would be governor, right? The messaging was completely off. And the messaging was off because we didn't have a solution to everyday American issues. We're not talking about gun control or abortion rights. Abortion rights was actually, according to a CNN exit poll, 9% of Virginians thought abortion was the number one issue. 13% of Virginians thought that the COVID crisis was the number one issue. But over 30% of Virginians thought the economy was the number one issue. Inflation, gas prices, that's what they care about. When they drive down the road and they see their gas prices at 350 a gallon, that is a problem. And it's happening in Florida. It's happening across the country. And I personally, I, I personally, I see it. I'm like, yeah, gas prices are on the rise. How are we going to fix it? And until Democrats come out with a cohesive message of saying X, Y, Z, this is what I'm going to do, we're going to continue losing. And 2020 is going to or until they appear to be fighting on behalf of the American people exactly. and commu- can communicate that clearly. Because we're I, just not seeing that right now. All we're seeing is infighting. All we're seeing is gridlock in Washington. All we're right. seeing in the headlines. None of the headlines. When have you seen... So obviously, we're trying to pass the social spending bill. No Republican is going to vote yes on it. Right. But we're not talking about that. There's been no discussion that Mitt Romney or Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins isn't going to vote isn't going to vote on the bill or vote yes on the bill. They've just, they've distanced themselves so much from actual politics, from actual policymaking that they're free to talk about whatever they want. And it's such a helpful campaign tool because then we're stuck fighting about, about, about these bills. And and all it just shows is that Democrats are fighting, not even fighting for you, fighting against themselves. I've thought about this a little bit and it's like the Republican game plan works really well for them. And, And this is really what it is, right? They're not in power. Democrats win the governorship or Democrats win the presidency or whatever. And in the succeeding years, the Republican Party cries, oh, Democrats aren't doing enough. Democrats are doing this. They should be doing it. Like, if, for example, in Miami, they're, they're out here, the Republican Party is out here saying Democrats should be or President Biden should be bombing Cuba, airstrikes in Cuba. They're saying these crazy outlandish ideas, right? You ask the, the Democrat and then voters are like, oh, look, the Republican Party has ideas. They would do something if they were in power. So they elect the Republican Party and the Republican Party doesn't do anything when they get in power. Yeah. And, then, and then when they get in power, they say, oh, look, Democrats are just obstruction. obstruction. They're just stopping what we're doing. But right. what they do is they, they quietly attack democracy and they quietly, you know, cut taxes for the wealthy and allow the big people, the big corporations that fund them and their super PACs to get off easy. That's what they do. That's the I'll, process. Yeah. And I'll just say this. I mean, for all the bad that was tonight, I mean, McAuliffe's loss was a real wake up call for Democrats around the country. Yes, this is a historical trend. Yes, we should have technically lost given the history. We sh- given Virginia's recent history, however, we should have won. But that being said, you look around the country, we have a lot of great Democratic wins. Here in Florida, we have a lot of, we have a lot of local 
and state level democratic wins that I'm very proud of. Um, I was at a, a city commissioner's race, uh, an election party tonight. She won, she's going to the runoff, very exciting. In New Jersey, we're likely gonna see Democrats retain control of the governorship, um, retain control of the legislature. That's very exciting. In, Michigan, in Boston, we have the first Asian American woman ever elected from- First Edmund. woman and first woman of color ever elected. Yeah, Incredible. exactly. Very exciting. So there are a lot of wins tonight and it's very easy to get caught up in the mess that is Virginia and say, listen, this was a terrible night for Democrats. When in reality, when you look at the country, actually countrywide, you have Chantel Brown in Ohio being elected as Congresswoman. You have dozens, dozens of Democrats flipping Republican seats. You have dozens of young people winning re-election and winning election for the first time. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of hope out there. There is a, there is a lot of um, support for Democratic candidates out there. And it's going to yeah. continue to 2022. It's just a matter of if we pass the Build Back Better agenda, if we support President Biden and his efforts, we're not going to have to worry about the Terry McAuliffe's of the world, right? We're going to we're going to be able to flip states like North Carolina, states like Florida, states yeah. like Wisconsin. And let's and let's close with a little bit of positivity with this message because it's been it's been a tough pod. Honestly, it has. This has been a disappointing night. It's it's late. Um, we have now passed uh, while we are recording this. It is into the morning um, because we have stayed up to watch returns. Um, and and it, yeah, it's been a tough night, and we're not feeling great about it. Um, but what we know is when we wake up tomorrow, we will have the 2020 election on our mind. There yeah. will be a new election. And although that's a little bit exhausting, there will be a new election to win many of them. And the goal that we have to keep in mind is if you're angry at Joe Manchin, look forward to never hearing his name again, because he will be irrelevant in the Senate. Right. Correct. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to fight for. That's what's important. And we're going to fight for democratic policies that we actually care about. Right. And we, we are going to be the collective voice of who is fighting for the American people. Yep. Sometimes our representatives will fail in doing so. That's why we find new ones, right? And that's why our, our message is always to young people that it's not, it's not a wait your turn. It's if your turn is now, your turn is now. Because we need some urgency. That's what we lack. We lack a lot of urgency. How long have we been discussing Build Back Better? Right? Too long. Too long. It's time for some urgency. It's time for some movement. Maybe a little, maybe a little kick in the ass will do everyone a, good, a little bit of good right? Let's get this thing rolling and, and let's wake up tomorrow ready to fight. Cause I, cause I absolutely am. Let, let's fight. We're going to, we're going to kill it. We're going to, we're going to take this energy we have moving on from Virginia, moving on from New Jersey. We're going to channel it in. We have so many elections coming up in 2022. Let's rock and roll. And, and speaking of which we have two incredible guests coming up next leaders of Midas varsity blue, Jonah Tillman, TJ Frederick. we got a great interview coming up. So please stick around. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Aaron, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals right now? Yeah, Jack, it's the results of the 2021 Virginia election. Those are tough. Those aren't the best. But what I can tell you is the best is BetterHelp. BetterHelp will help you assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And, you know, Jack, you can start communicating with a licensed therapist in under 48 hours. It's, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional therapy done securely online. And there is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. Now, the service is available for clients worldwide. And you can log into your account anytime and immediately send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses 
Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, just like you would in traditional therapy. Now, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. And on top of that, financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website and read their testimonials that they're posted day- daily. Yeah, um, so visit betterhelp.com slash zoomed in. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. So use our special offer for zoomed in listeners and get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash zoomed in. We are so excited to welcome to the Zoomed In podcast two incredible guests for our episode today. That is Jonah Tillman and Terrence Frederick, Gen Z activists and leaders of Midas Varsity Blues. Uh, that is an organization under the Midas family, the Midas Mighty. So guys, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the pod. Woo! Thanks, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So guys, let's just jump right in. Um, You guys run Midas Varsity Blues, which is like the high school version of Midas Touch. But before we get into what Midas Varsity Blues is, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Who is Terrence? Who is Jonah? Jonah, why don't you jump in first and then Terrence, you hop in right afterwards. Uh, Sure. Uh, So yeah, my name is Jonah. Um, I'm 17. I'm a senior in high school. It's currently suffering with all the college apps and everything. But uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, so I I guess like I started... I started running the, I founded the Midas Varsity Blue Initiative last year in November uh, when I reached out to Midas Touch. I, um, and, and I think part of the reason why I did that and, and part of the reason why I got involved in politics and everything is because I realized that like high schoolers and youth, regardless of if they're voting age or not, are still impacted by politics and they can still make a difference. And so Absolutely. I was able to, I was fortunate enough to really work with Jordy and Ben and Brett to to really find the Varsity Blue Initiative, and from there, uh, and I and I started right after the presidential elections, and and with this mission of getting high school voices amplified and really finding a way to spread civic engagement, um, and so I did this by contacting a bunch of uh, Georgia high schoolers. I like sent an obscene amount of emails to them and just kept DMing them on social media. And from there, we were able to post about 17 videos that reached like 400,000 views roughly. And so I think from what I learned from that is that high schools really have stuff to say and that they can really make a difference. Um, and I guess that's why, and I think that's like the essence of democracy. So I guess that's why I'm involved. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with what Jonah said. And, and part of it was, um, kind of coming into a space where uh, my values were important. You know, a lot of times in politics, you know, they say, oh, you'll have your term. You know, that's, that's the proverbial, you know, thing that we all hear. But for me, it was coming into a space where it was my turn, you know, already as an African-American, disabled American in this country, right? Two things. You know, you have sort of that, you have that kind of difficulty where you're dealing with 
two bits of isms, right? Because you have mm-hmm. the racism and then you have the ableism. And so you're dealing with two things. And then on top of that, you want to get into politics? Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> go do something else with your life. Become a social secretary or whatever. So for people to have their sort of identity politics of what we are and what we should be as, as African-Americans and as disabled Americans, I think this was a place for me to defy those odds and and really be able to to bring about change in a way that people weren't expecting. No one was expecting for us to kind of do what we did in, in a way that we did it. So that's kind of my why, if you will. Yeah, and I, and I love that. And when you talk about people saying, wait your turn, maybe you need to you need to spend a few years doing this. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe go to school first. Stay at a, yep. stay at this level. Mm-hmm. In defying those odds, that's so inspiring to young people who don't know where to start. But for exactly. y'all, it was I, I, I have to start. There's no reason I shouldn't. It should be at any level. I should feel comfortable. Yeah. And I shouldn't think that anyone can tell me where I can or cannot be in politics because I have a voice and I have a change that I want to make happen. And it's so inspiring uh, to hear from you guys and your stories. It's awesome. And that, you know, that's what we are about on the Zoom Thank podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So I, I listen, I, I love what you guys have done thus far. And I think that you two yeah. really represent the future of this country. Um, so I'm excited to see where you guys go. But let's talk about a little bit about varsity, varsity blues or Midas Varsity Blues specifically. Yeah. What is it? I mean, yeah, we know it's the high school arm of Midas Touch, but what are you guys working on? Uh, what do you see the future of Midas Varsity Blues is? And why don't you tell us, like, how many? folks do you have right now on staff or on roster um, that's participating in your stuff? Sure, I, 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 I can get started with this one. Uh, so, like I said, we kind of, Varsity Blue, uh, Minus Varsity Blue is the Midas Touch High School initiative. And so we started with this whole purpose of really spreading civic engagement and in, 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 in getting high schoolers engaged. Because uh, when when we saw, when, when working with Jordy, I kind of saw that from the beginning that part of the reason why the, high, the college voter turnout below is because so many people go into college not really engaged and not really aware politically. Mm-hmm. And so we saw that this is, although we have this Minus University uh, initiative where we can really get in, college students engaged and active, part of the reason, one of the things you can do is really start from the high school level. And so that's what we want to do is get high schoolers engaged and get them educated because they can make a difference and they can go to college already aware and able to vote. And um, and so yeah. that's kind of the purpose of Varsity Blue is to get them engaged and to get high schoolers' voices amplified as well. And so what we've been doing ever since then is uh, roughly right now, the Varsity Blue initiative has, I mean, it's fluctuated a little bit, but I guess like collectively we've had about like 50 members or so. That's incredible. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and so some of the things we've been doing, like we said, we have the, uh, we had the Georgia videos. We had, uh, we have a social media team. So we'll have TikToks being posted. We have our Instagram. I don't know how TikTok works, but we'll do it. <laughs> so that's that's convenient. Uh, and we have uh, we have certain posts. So we have like a little mm-hmm. graphics team. Well, people will kind of sum up. Like for example, what is the filibuster? What is the minimum wage? Things like that. So high school and putting it kind of into simple terms. It's like, why does this matter? And why can this still impact you regardless of your um, of voting age or not? So kind of letting high schoolers be aware. Um, and we also have, I know TJ can talk a little bit more about this, but we have this rundown show that we host 
uh, used to be weekly, I think more now. So it's going to be a little bit, it's probably to be like bi-weekly, but we go on and kind of discuss, like give a little brief rundown of the week discussing uh, what happened for high school, like, and, and also getting the perspective of the Gen Z voice and why this matters to us. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll speak a little bit about the, the, the talk show. Really, can I, can I say this on the air? It came from The View. Seriously, it was a, <laughs> it was a brainchild of ABC's The View. And the reason why I say that is because there was a certain identity that that show had, right? Where women could sit around a table and they could talk about the hot topics of the day. And that would that kind of started the rundown because it was like, okay, teens can sit around and talk about the topics of the week. And so it was something that we were, uh, you know, kind of developing. And it's kind of gone through its sort of developmental stages of like, oh, we'll do this or we'll do that. But it, it was really a place where teenagers our age could come together and could talk about the issues that were affecting them, you know, in a way that was unique, in a way that was open, in a way that was honest. Um, and so that's kind of why that was important to me. Um, and, and really, we've always had that sort of rapport as teenagers to talk about issues, right? Mm -hmm. But now, you know, you kind of have us talking about issues to thousands of people, right? And the majority of those people aren't our age. They're older people who want to get in, right? And so it's like you get you are you have that experience. Sorry, my dog is, is going through something. Hey, we'll do all dogs here on the Midas, on the Zoom and but, but I mean it's it's like, you know, you kind of have that sort of experience where you're you're not so much as boxed in again, like I was saying. And I know Joan and I have had disagreements about this of like, you know, we're multifaceted people. And so one of the things that I wanted to bring to the new season was showing and showcasing not only our political views, but our pop culture views as well, mm -hmm. because a lot of it is intertwined together. You know, our politics is represented in our pop culture, you know, because growing up in Virginia in a conservative town, I seem a little bit more conservative than Jonah does. And, you know, that's just, that's just how it goes. So, you know, kind of showing that we can talk about, you know, Trump and Biden, and then we can talk about Adele. It, it just kind of shows the multifacetedness of who we are. And it gives people an inside look as to that. So I think that's one of the, one of the reasons why I think the show is so important. Yeah. And I think giving authenticity to your voice and talking about what does really matter to Gen Z and how those things interact is important. And, and yeah. you know, when you're when you're talking about wanting to bring in these these different perspectives and, and talk about different issues, even if those are pop culture issues, you know, it's things that are important to our lives. Uh, and, yeah. and if we're going to garner focus um, and if we're going to, you know, activate Gen Z, it has to be, you know, speaking to things that we care about. And, you know, Absolutely. sometimes, I, you know, I've talked to people about this. sometimes the things that we care about are, are in pop culture. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that 
I want my representatives talking to me about pop culture, but I want them to be more in touch with the things that matter to me. And that's going to be, we want them to know what finstas are. Yeah, we do. Uh, that's yeah. important. Can, you that's know what I was saying? You know, and I was saying, as I was watching that in Caldo, because I had a friend of mine, he's an intern with Cinder Blumenthal and I'm texting him. And I'm like, this makes no sense. The, 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 the finsta is not an actual thing. It's something that people do. Okay. Something that people it's, do. You got, you yeah. got say, do y'all have fences? I don't. I don't have a fence. <laughs> it looks can, like he does. <laughs> I yeah, so, here who has one then. Um, I like to keep that private. Right, Instagram yeah. account is a fence in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't. I don't do the fence simply because you know I want people to know the authentic version of who I am, and that includes my parents. I mean, just say true to true. I think personally, I just like embarrass myself enough on my own Instagram that I, I do don't as think well. there's a need for yes. it and stuff. But. I'm a big fan of embarrassing myself on my own Instagram. Um, exactly. And so, well, Aaron, do you want to explain, or uh, Terrence, would you like to explain what we're referencing sure. with Finsta right now? Sure. So Finsta is basically a fake Instagram account. Okay. That's why we call it Finsta. Okay. Insta is the short for Instagram and the F is for the fake. Okay. So people create these fake Instagrams to... I know people who do it to flirt with older people, you know, okay. okay. Uh, you know, that that's also true. Or you can just create it to have a sense of normalcy in your life and you want to share other things My that may not... not about yeah. older people. I, let me just put that out there. <laughs> I, you know, but I'm just saying. So would you like to explain how the interaction occurred with Senator Blumenthal yes. about about Finsta? Sure, sure. So so basically, was was it toward it was toward the Instagram, and he said um, he said, "Are you willing to stop Finsta?" And she said, "Sir, we don't control Finsta." And so he kind of just kept going on and pressing mm-hmm. on the Finsta, and, and she said, "Listen, Finsta is fake," and I and I thought to myself this is why we need young people exactly because okay? need to be it, in it, touch with what's going on and have exactly, some understanding exactly. of, of what the what the issues are because when we're talking about facebook and when we're talking about the effects that you know instagram or other social platforms have on the mental health of young people if you don't even understand how those platforms work or, or what's going on on those exactly. platforms then how can you address issues right how can you yeah. really communicate with us and come to the table and understand where we are at and the Absolutely. decisions that need to be made yeah. to regulate or fix those programs right yeah so and can that's i just speak to listening the, to young people and having young people around yeah and can i just speak to the larger point of this and this is really not the point of the podcast but i feel like saying this the need to create a fence that shows insecurity within your own bubble and, and the reason why I say that just attacking Aaron right now. No, I, no I, but, but seriously, I, and I'm I not have, saying I have to briefly respond. My fins, it's for the record. My finsta was created ten years ago when I was in high no, school. No, no, and I'm not. And, and I'm it was, not it, saying it, was it kept against... on private because I didn't. I only wanted five friends to follow it and had nothing to do with anything else. Why am I not following it? Because What's I don't have it anymore. It's not a thing anymore. Okay. No, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not yeah, saying I get that bully against. He's just hiding from you. He's hiding from me. <laughs> I'm not saying that against the kids or the adults that have it. I'm more so saying against their family members because we are multifaceted people. I keep going back to that, and so for us to have to hide parts of ourselves, you know, from people because we feel like that that we would be judged for it. I think it's kind of sad in the day and age that we're living in. I mean, I remember 
you know, growing up kind of being insecure because I was a little chubby, okay? So I would, you know, wear baggy clothes so people couldn't tell. But, you know, that was kind of my own insecurity. And so I think for us to have to, as a generation of people who commit suicide at higher rates, who, you know, who are less fortunate, who don't, people don't understand some of the things that we go through. For us to then have to add that layer to our social media life, I think it should cause us to have pause and think about the concerns of, of the next generation coming up behind us, because what is it going to be next? I don't know. Yeah. On that note, um, <laughs> to, to pivot a bit, um, yeah. so you mentioned pop culture earlier. And yes. I'm a huge fan of pop culture. And I watch Ellen um, every now and then on YouTube when I, when I have a chance. And Ellen does this game called Burning Questions. And essentially, okay. we're going to do the political version of Burning Questions. Oh, no. But I'm going to ask the three of you, because Jack okay. is in this, um, just quick rapid fire questions. And I want one word or two word answers, right? Wow. Now. Okay. All yeah. right. Wow. I like it. So we're going to start off easy. Okay. Who's your favorite president of all time? Terrence, you go first. Who is my favorite president? Don't tell me people, why. Tell me who it was. Okay, people may hate me for this, but going to say George W. Bush. He was my favorite president. Interesting. Bush was, no, okay. Bush was my favorite. Yeah. Jonah. That's a hot one. That's a hot one. <laughs> That's a hot one. That's go a hot ahead. It'd be hard to beat that. Yeah. I can't, yeah. I can't honestly. <laughs> you took my answer. No, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's a tough one. Maybe, maybe Obama, I'd say. Jack, um, mine is not just his presidency, encompassing uh, all of his political. I ask for uh, a one word or a two word answer. <laughs> John Adams. Ah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Jimmy Carter would be a close second. Jimmy Carter Jimmy, Jimmy is good. That's a staple answer. Yeah. It's a great answer. All right. Yeah. So moving on. Um, okay. Who is your political role model? I'm gonna we're gonna go backwards. Jack, you go first. Who is my political role model? Um, I think easily I could once again say John Adams. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna pivot. Uh, and I'm going to say once and now now he's on to John Adams train. This is what happened. And and I'm going to I'm going to say, say, hmm, that's a great one. We're going to go another John. We're going to go John Ossoff. Wow. Oh, all right. All right. Oh, no, you're up. I'm going to say with the Johns, uh, John Lewis. That's a great one. I had the privilege to meet him, too, which was. Uh, wow. Awesome. That's incredible. All right. TJ. You know, all right. All right. I'm going to choose another controversial one again. Uh, my favorite. Hey, Joe or, Manchin, uh, no, no, <laughs> Joe Manchin. You know, I'm actually going to say Jeff Flake. That okay. may be a surprise. That may be a surprising. But uh, yeah, go ahead. You want one word? I'll give you one right. word. Go no, ahead. That's a good. That's a good answer. Uh, yeah. I, who I, I are your favorite and least favorite Congress people currently serving? Ooh. One favorite and one least favorite. DJ, you're up. All right, Jonah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Joe. Um, you know, this is a tough one. I think I have a little bias because I've been fortunate to be a little bit in touch with him. Probably Richie Torres from New York. He's my favorite, too. I just oh, love him. Absolutely. Uh, and least favorite? Oh, man, there's so many to choose. Uh, maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene? I, I don't know. It's a great, 
Great answer. Great answer for least favorite. Right. <laughs> yeah, good okay. good least favorite. EJ, you're up. Okay, gotta go with the controversial again. Uh, let's see. My favorite congressperson currently serving, I'm going to have to say is... Hmm. I don't know. Let's see. Okay, I'll give you one. My favorite congressperson right now is actually uh, Nancy Pelosi. Hmm. Getting it done. Uh, uh, getting yeah. it done at 81. Get, getting it done. I, I, Holding the for us. And least favorite. Yeah. My least favorite right now that I'm absolutely hating is, shockingly, Kristen Sinema. Yeah. Easy yeah. one. I love that. Easy one. Yeah. Easy to easy to just like Kirsten Cinema right now. I'd say my favorite, um, Jamie Raskin has been up there recently. Uh, yes, yes. Also would say Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and least favorite, probably going to go with uh, someone who doesn't like me right now, and that's uh, Madison Cawthorn. He, yeah, you know, that we have to talk about that. That that was great. Can last, we insert last insert question. that video in? Here. <laughs> <laughs> insert the clip. Run the clip. Insert the clip. <laughs> One word answer or two words. What is okay. the most pressing political issue of our time? And it's very loaded, but one oh. issue. One issue. Oh, God. Go ahead. Uh, let's start with TJ, putting you on the spot. All right. Okay. okay. I guess I got to go. Answer. Controversial. No, no, no. You don't have to. I, I would say <laughs> the child tax credit. Mm. Huh. Can I give a reason? Give I'm a just reason. gonna give a little Absolutely. time. Okay. I'm gonna give a little reason. Little reason. The reason why I say it's the child tax credit is because we cut it out of the of the uh, we cut it out of one of the bills, hmm. which means that there is going to obviously be uh, it's important, or they wouldn't have cut it out, right? And I think for so many families who are black and brown and who are disproportionately affected and. I think if they had extra money coming in just for having kids and for trying to take care of them, I think it's important. Okay. Jonah, you're up. Oh, man. Uh, oh, this is a tough one, honestly. It is tough. You know, maybe just because, like, I, I've studied this a lot, probably gun control. Mm-hmm. Jack? Um, I've got two. I know I'm breaking the rules there. Wow. Um, democracy? And then the next biggest threat is climate. That's a cop out. Yeah, cl- how is that? A, how is that a cop out? Because it's being attacked I daily. I think the biggest issue right now: gerrymandering, voting rights, all that. Yes, those gerrymandering. My God, tax on our democracy. Well, thank you for coming on to the um, Parnas Cotterella Ellen version of our show. Of our show. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, burning qu- political burning questions. Um, you guys are awesome, though. Seriously, um, we are so pleasure. pleasure uh, pleased to be joined by Jonah and Terrence. You guys are the future, even though you are a bit controversial at times. We love it. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Zoomed In podcast with us. Thank you so much for Zooming in. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. You guys are the Thanks, future. Guys. Future is bright. And now it's time for Tweets of the Week. Our first tweet, Aaron, and you're going to be surprised by this, mm-hmm. comes from none other than Senator Kirsten Cinema. Whoa. <laughs> now, you might be wondering how this is happening because we would never use one of her tweets right now. And this is because it's a tweet from 2010 before Senator Cinema was Senator Cinema. She huh. tweets, Phoenix hit 109 today. 
It's September 18th. P.S. Climate change is real. Yeah, I'd like to see that that same Kirsten Cinema maybe take those actions right now. Maybe that old Kirsten Cinema could travel back uh, forward in time and say, "Hey, uh, re- remember this tweet? Remember when you were different before all the uh, all the money went your way?" Yeah, let's go back yeah. to that. And our next tweet is coming from Ari Berman, who says, "Joe Manchin represents 0.5 percent of U.S. populations, but seems determined to tank Democratic agenda supported by 70 to 80 percent of Americans and 96 percent of congressional Dems." Yep. Oh, Joe Manchin. <clears throat> and our final tweet comes from Kate, who says, number one, historically speaking, a Republican taking Virginia's governor was expected. Number two, let this light a fire. Number three, it's okay to be bummed tonight, but come back tomorrow. We got this thing. Let's be energized. Let's be excited. That is Tweets of the Week. And that is our show. Thank you so much to all of our Zoomed in family, the Zoomers out there tuning in every Wednesday and live on Thursdays. Uh, We could not have done this show without you. We can't do this show without you. Also can't do this show without our incredible producers at Midas Touch and our amazing editor, Adam Salton. Thank you all so much for helping us put this thing together every single week. Yeah, thank you so much. This was an awesome episode. And you know, we may have not received the results we wanted, but there is hope for the future. We've got to wake up tomorrow, continue working to elect Democrats up and down the ballot. And Jack, I know you're about to do that. So where can they find you? Where can the listeners find you if they wanted to know more? You can find me at JD Cacciarella on Twitter. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A. You can also find me at Jack D. Cacciarella on TikTok. That is Jack D. Cacciarella on TikTok. Aaron, where can the people find you? all over social media at Aaron Parnas, A-A-R-O-N-P-A-R-N-A-S. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in to this latest episode of Zoomed In. Thank you so much for Zooming in. Jack and I really appreciate it. So, And before we leave you, um, if you are looking for more incredible content from the people at Midas Touch, go check out the Supporters movie coming out on Thursday. It is incredible. It is hilarious. You will want to go watch it. So please go check it out. Um, And again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Zoomed In podcast. We will catch you next week.